Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors and ministers, Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message by Reverend Albert Okran. Good evening and a warm welcome to Joy 99.7 FM and to another matriculation of Springboard, the virtual university. My name is Albert Okran, and from now till you graduate at 8 p.m., I promise that your personal value will shoot up. Helping me serve you tonight are my virtual academic board comprising Comfort the Registrar with Matthew, Amos, and Inshira. Springboard is a thematic radio seminar that brings together a virtual network of top CEOs, corporate executives, and the most influential leaders every Sunday evening. It has for the past six years operated with a simple agenda of raising or equipping a new generation of African leaders and executives using the medium of human capital development. The broadcast is brought to you by Legacy and Legacy, your preferred choice for world-class corporate training. And your superstition join 99.7 FM. Springboard is proudly sponsored by EcoBank, the Pan African Bank, and we also enjoy media support from the Business and Financial Times, the Graphic Business, as well as technology backing from Dream Oval. It is exactly 52 days to the start of the Springboard 2015 Roadshow. Next year's Springboard Roadshow promises to be the most impactful so far under the theme Exploration with Integrity. The four pillars of the Roadshow are Explore, Discover, Activate, and Consolidate. These are the four things we'll be doing, and we'll be doing all of them with integrity. Explore, Discover, Activate, and Consolidate. I'm going to be giving you along the line some of the areas that we want to explore, but the key feature of next year's Roadshow will be four main workshops in the area of business plan writing, CV writing, and, 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 and cover letter writing, and then projects proposal writing and investment investment planning. These are the four key areas that we will be working in. And so look out for these workshops. It's going to be a change of format to focus more on workshops that provide people with the tools and the how to, to build their dreams. That is why you must be at Springboard 2015. Let me move straight to our weekly poll for this week. And this week, it's a simple question. Which is the most dangerous of these seven deadly sins? You recall that in the book of Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19, it states six things that the Lord hates and seven that are an abomination to him. I'm going to ask my guest, which of the seven is the most dangerous? And so if your Bible or your iPad is close by you, it is Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19, and the seven are number one, a proud look, number two, a lying tongue, number three, hands that shed innocent blood, number four, a heart that devises wicked plots, number five, feet that are swift to run into mischief, number six, a deceitful witness who utters lies, and then number seven, him that sows discord among brethren. Somebody says, all of them are dangerous. I know, but that's why I'm asking you to choose. Which is the most dangerous? And we'll be finding out after the break from my guest, which of these seven is the most dangerous in his opinion and why? So if you have a, an opinion about this, just post it on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash springboard, the virtual university, or put it on my Facebook wall 
and we will be letting the whole world know what you think. So far, I have loads and loads of opinions since we put this one out sometime late last night, and I'm going to be sharing them with you along the line. Let me update you on what is happening in the SMS Academy. And if you don't know, we have an academy on the phone where every single day we send you something, bite-sized knowledge coming to you bit by bit to help you become that person that God meant for you to be. This is day number seven of a 31-day journey in this month of December. Last month, we explored 30 laws of personal growth. This December is devoted to 31 secrets of talent and world creation. Ask yourself why Michael Asian was earning £90,000 a week at Chelsea. Your talent can be a, a platform or a springboard for world creation. And we are finding out why it is it is important not just to have a talent, but also to discover it, to deploy it, and to optimize that talent. We are at the discovery stage this week, and the number seven, lesson number seven, which was today's lesson, is that it is possible to be multi-talented. A person can at the same time have the flair for music, writing, politics, sports, sales, dance, and art. I have a most talented guest in the studio. I'm going to be talking to you very shortly, so just hold your horses. Tomorrow... This lesson will be about how multi-talented people can determine which of them is their leading talent. You know, if you have a number of talents, one of them is the arrowhead. Which one is it? That is very important. You will find out in lesson number eight, which is tomorrow's lesson on the SMS Academy. If you want to sign up, just take advantage of technology by signing up. Just text the word SPRINGBOARD to short code 1984. If you are an MTN or Airtel user, just type the word SPRINGBOARD and on the user place, just type 1984. If you are on MTN or Airtel, if you are on Vodafone or Tigo, just send the same word SPRINGBOARD to 1985 and you just will start receiving your message again. Well, that brings us to our main menu for today. We are on the 14th floor. We are climbing a 15th floor building. And we are on floor number 14. We call it the Leaders Digest. We started from the ground floor on the 7th of September. And it's been quite an engaging interaction with 13 business leaders, with several other leaders calling in to provide some perspectives and some support. Our simple task is to distill the core principles and the values that undergird the lives of these leaders. After our final edition next week, we will compile the 15 interviews and present a paper that you can cite authoritatively that tells you what these top leaders think and what are the pillars that hold you know that song the pillars that hold my life right so you will find out the the pillars that undergird the lives of these top business leaders from various industries and fields of endeavor so just stay with us and next week we will bring this to a climax and then the week after bring you our findings and you will find that very very interesting already a pattern is beginning to emerge and so my guest tonight is an advertising, marketing, communications, and branding guru. He lives, sleeps, and dreams about building. So tonight, the question I'm asking you, how do you take what you are doing and make it globally relevant and competitive? Maybe we'll find out from him how the person who has started small can become big. I hope that we can find time, as we talk about his values, to get some tips about how to take your small idea 
onto the global stage. Joel Netty has been at the vanguard of some of the most revolutionary developments in advertising and marketing communication in Ghana. He's the CEO of Innova DDB and president of the Advertising Association of Ghana. He's my guest tonight on Springboard, one of my very good friends, and it's always good to see you. Joel, welcome to Springboard. Thank you very much, Albert. It's good to be back here. It's a blessing, and, and, and we wish we could have more of you and learn from your divinely instituted wisdom. So, as I interview Joel tonight, just feel free to send us your questions, your thoughts, and contributions via our Facebook page. But Joel, before we even go into the the real substance of our discussion, yeah. dangerous things, <laughs> which, of them, which of them caught your attention? Was it number three or number four? I think it's the... Let me the run them by you. Yeah. Let me run them by you again. It's, it's like revision, revision week. So number one is the proud look. Yes. Number two, the lying tongue. Yeah. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed, shed innocent blood. <laughs> Yeah. The, those who oppose, I think you can't get worse than that. I mean, that is so permanent. Once it is that you, whatever you do, take somebody away. There's you can't. There's no re- redemption. You can't go back and say I'm sorry. So, innocent, innocent blood. I mean, somebody said, listen, the deceit, the deceitful witness who attests lies can lie about you, and you can be sentenced to death, and they will deceive the judge. And somebody said, listen, the lying tongue can kill you, and after that, clean their face and pretend they didn't do anything. It's just a raging debate out there on it Facebook. Is, it is, it is. But the one that is leading, surprisingly, is number four. A heart that devises wicked plots. They say death is a subset of that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I've disclosed, I've disclosed the score so far, but it doesn't change the fact that you have an opinion. Yes, Share it with us right here on the virtual university. Joel says there's nothing worse than killing. So, hands that shed innocent blood. But if you have an opinion, just share that opinion with us. Joel, just just give us a sense. Somebody's thinking of taking something onto the global stage. Is it a quest worth pursuing? And if they want to do that, what kinds of things must they be thinking of as they set out on the journey? Anyone, I mean, somebody sent me an, uh, on Facebook, said, ask Joel to speak to startups. Ask Joel to speak to young business people, people who want to become the next Joel Netty or to live out their own dreams. And the thing they want to find out, how do you take something small that you have started and build it to become big? What are the things you should be looking for? I, I think the first thing is, if you're moving to a global level, then you, you need to recognize that your competition is global. In other words, it's not just the best of your class here in Ghana or your um, village, wherever you are. But if you're taking it to a global level, then you're competing with similar products or services from um, across the West African region, all of Africa and the rest of the world for that matter. So um, quality for me becomes the most critical thing. Um, the quality of the product itself, the quality of the service, um, the focus you, you, you give to the various, what we call, classically call the four piece. Price, are you competitive? Are you offering the very best value at the very best price? Um, where, where do people find your products and services? How are you packaged? All of those things. Because ultimately, if you're going to reach out to a global world, then you know that people have choices. And the internet, people are seeing all kinds of, people don't need to travel, for instance, to the States anymore to buy something that's made in the USA. People sit here, go online, make a purchase, and it's delivered to them right here in Ghana. So your products and services cannot be um, shoddy. They cannot be of, of less quality than what's available, easily available for that matter as well, from across the world. So quality is king. Really. Right. Quality is king. That's the, the very centerpiece yeah. of every business venture yes how difficult is it to match the standards of the global quality how difficult is it 
is, is it something worth pursuing? Is, is it something? Is it an ideal that is unattainable? I don't think so, but I think you you it's it's you you get there in stages. So right. you need to start. You need to build on the products from the very the basics. So today you're producing something that's uh, manufactured in Ghana, for instance, um, and designed, manufactured, labeled, and everything here in Ghana. Tomorrow you're moving it to the next level, improving improving the quality, improving the, the packaging. Um, Unfortunately, labor, for instance, is relatively more expensive in Ghana. So, for instance, you're going to China, you're going to India, where labor is supposedly cheaper. So, for things like your packaging and everything, it may be cheaper to get in there. So, you, yeah, they have they have an advantage in that general regard. But you build up slowly towards it. You start building volumes, you reinvest. Unfortunately, most African businesses don't reinvest the the the, the revenue that they make or the profits that they make in business. So, um, then you don't have the critical mass, if you will. To then improve on the production services, but it's a it's a it's a long journey. It's not a, it's not a sprint. It's it's a marathon. So you need to just at every single intervention improve on what it is that you're offering, and then you you get to the very top. You will get to the top if you understand that it's a marathon and not a sprint. Continuous progress, little by little, step by step. If you just tune in, my guest Joel Net is CEO of Innova DDB, walking us through how what it takes to build a global organization. That's not our main topic, but why get Joel in the studio and not take advantage of his wisdom and his his expertise in this area? Let me find out from Joel, from you, Joel, what is the biggest barrier? What's the biggest barrier to we reaching the level, the potential that we have as businesses? What, in your opinion, is the biggest barrier facing Ghanaian businesses? Oh, but I think, I think, our attitude. I think what it says is that, I, and I keep look, telling people that what I look out for most in my people and businesses and everything is attitude. If we have the right attitude, we are committed, we are, we are, we are focused, and we are determined to succeed. And we'll, we'll go the extra mile. We'll, we'll put in the late hours. We'll put, in the, we'll put in the research. We'll do everything that is required to make our products and services better and make us more competitive. We will succeed. All of these, all our competitors, whether it's in, um, in Africa or in Europe or in whatever it is, give, they give their all. Unfortunately, for most businesses, a lot of businesses, and I won't say for most businesses, we are, we are happy with what I would call mediocre achievements. But if it is that we, we focus on not just our um, immediate environments, but being competitive and competing with the rest of the world and offering the quality that the rest of the world has, and we keep at it, I'm sure we'll, we'll get there. I'm very curious about the work that you do for some of the multinational brands. Brands that have you talk about going global. You talk about competing against the very best in the world, putting out quality that matches what is on offer from various companies and institutions across the world. And in your own business, I mean, if I may get personal a bit, mm -hmm. you do adverts or communications uh, materials that are consumed by companies that have options across the world. That means that you must be able to deliver to them what. Hey, they can they can get from elsewhere. In your own work, what do you find as the the key? What gives you the what do you think gives you the cutting edge? An unfettered commitment to be the very best at what we do. Like you're rightly saying, these for global businesses, they can they can reach out to advertising agencies, production companies, whatever it is from across the world. Really, you can you can fly in a South African company to come do something for you. You can have somebody in the UK write you a script. As far as local businesses are concerned, we have an ad advantage because we're here. We're touchy-feely. We know what it is that our consumers want. So that's an advantage. But that said, if you're not committed to quality, if you're not ensuring 
that what you're what you're offering the client, you're, you're you're committed to research, you're finding out the pulse points of the consumer. So that when you come out with a solution, the client spends money, and you're sure that the client is reaching the consumer and getting results. Then the client the client is better off getting value value elsewhere because really people have. Uh, because we've done it for longer, they have experience, they have this, that, and the other, that we don't have. But our advantage is we're here. If you commit to quality, if you're in touch with the consumer, you commit to research, then that way, whoever is coming has not, not, nothing, not, not, nothing to hold, nothing, doesn't hold a candle to you. Should buyers, consumers, um, step down their expectation because they are getting service from a Ghanaian. Should they say, well, it's not bad for a Ghanaian provider? Is there anything like the Ghanaian standard? I, I don't think so. I don't think that the consumer should expect less, and I don't think the service provider should provide less because we are, we are Ghanaian. Like, like you, are, you said at the beginning, it's a global village, and people have options, and people are spending money. So they are going to take a decision as to whether X amount of money that they are spending, what's the best use of that money, and they they're going to, they're not going to give it to you just because you're a Ghanaian company. They're going to give it to you if you're a Ghanaian company and you're able to offer as much as whichever global entity is offering. Then yes, of course, you're being Ghanaian. Your Ghanaianness offers you an advantage, but ultimately it's about quality. And so Ghanaian businesses must focus on delivering the quality, as um, the quality options that everybody else has globally. Yeah. Twenty minutes past the hour of seven. Hey, your main advantage of being a Ghanaian is that you are closer to the customer. You can understand their need, and that's where it stops. Everything else match what is on, on offer from any part of the world. These are the thoughts of Joel Nettie, my guest on Leaders Digest. If you are taking down notes so far, you should have at least three commandments that should help you build that global business. I'm going to go in a brief commercial break. When I come back, let's find out from Joel the pillars that hold his life and the big lessons he's learned from years in business. What mistakes has he made? And by the way, who advises him? Let's find out when we come back. But this program is Springboard, the Virtual University, and the series is called the Leaders Digest. We are running 15 interviews with some of the finest leaders you can find in various fields of endeavor. It's brought to you by Legacy and Legacy Enjoy 99.7 FM, proudly sponsored by Ecobank, the Pan-African Bank. Talking about Ecobank, have you by any chance heard about rapid transfer from Ecobank? Rapid transfer from Ecobank lets you send and receive money within minutes across Ghana and throughout Africa. Rapid transfer is fast, convenient, and reliable. You can transfer as much as 30,000 Ghana cities. The funds arrive in the local currency and there are no ch- charges for the person to whom you are sending the money. You don't need an EcoBank account to use, rapid, to use rapid transfer. If you want a fast and convenient way to send and receive money, choose EcoBank Rapid Transfer as your preferred money transfer partner. Just visit any of EcoBank's 79 branches across Ghana or go to EcoBank.com for information about rapid transfer. Terms and conditions apply. EcoBank is definitely the Pan-African Bank. Let's go for a brief commercial break. When we come back, the pillars that hold the life of my guest, Joel Netty, please don't go away. Ah, there's a Recobank ATM. Now, check this out. I'm going to get money out without a card. God, how did you do that? Don't you know that now you can withdraw cash from either MTN Mobile Money or Echo Money at any Ecobank ATM and you don't even need an ATM card? Wow, that's great. And Ecobank has over 200 ATMs across Ghana. It's so convenient. Plus, it's super easy and totally secure. Withdraw cash at any Ecobank ATM from your MTN Mobile Money and Echo Money wallets. For more information, just call free on short code 3225 from Airtel, MTN, and Vodafone lines. Or 0302-213-999. That's normal charges. Terms and conditions apply. Echo Bank, the Pan-African Bank. 
22 minutes past hour of seven. Echo Bank is indeed the Pan African Bank, and this is indeed Springboard, your virtual university. My guest, Joel Netty, and we are, he's so far giving us some tips about how to go global with your small idea. And if you are taking down notes, let me just refresh your thoughts before I go on to the main thrust of our interview for today. I just, just picking his thoughts on his favorite areas just to get some perspectives. And so, on going global, Commandment number one, he says your competition is global, so you are no longer a local player. You are going to be competing against the very best all across the world, and therefore your quality must match the very best. Your product quality, your service quality must match the very best. People have choices, so you must compete on all the four Ps. So that is ongoing global. The second lesson is that progress is in stages and so you want to get to the very top but you start from somewhere and you build step by step he says consistently improve and you can do that by reinvesting your profits or your revenue in the business to help the business grow he says it's a a marathon and not a sprint so be patient and build step by step the third thing he shared is, is about barriers to progress he says attitude is the main barrier if you want to hit it put in the hours invest resources and aim at getting the very best don't settle for mediocrity talking about mediocrity brings us to the fourth lesson it's about standards there's nothing like a Ghanaian standard it's only that global standard so providers must not give anything less than that standard and buyers must not settle for anything less than the very best those are for your notes my guest Joel Betty Joel let's talk about the secrets of career success if some upcoming desirous young people cornered you and said Mr. Nettie tell us what in your opinion after years of work do you consider the secrets of career success what would you say I mean I think I mentioned one of them earlier attitude and for me a second one would be passion first of all you must be passionate about what you're doing I mean if it's a career it would suggest that that's what you're going to be doing for the, the, the conceivable future so you must be passionate about it. You must be interested in it. You must be committed to whatever it takes to make to ensure success. You must research it. You must be committed to being the very best. Now, if you're going to do all that, if you're going to be successful at doing all that, you must have the right attitude. So for me, really, the square root of everything is attitude. But you must be passionate about what it is that you're doing. You Charlie, square root, but do you do what you must? No, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Yeah, but that, that's what it is for me. You, you must have the right attitude. That, that actually, that means that you're waking up every day and trying to be a little better than you were yesterday, that you're researching and finding out what your competition is doing that you are not doing, um, investing in your staff, investing in training, stuff like that. It's attitude and passion to succeed. And that is the key to career success for anyone listening out there. Have the right attitude and be passionate about what you do. That means be interested in it, be committed to it, and then spend time researching into what it takes to be the very best. So for a CEO of a company that like in DDB, when you wake up in the morning, what, what's your day like? What's a typical day for you? My day is atypical, really. Um, atypical. <laughs> I typically get woken up by my kids, come to see, come say good morning before they leave home for school. Uh, for school, and then I'm I'm typically not a traffic person. I hate sitting in traffic. I hate I hate it with everything within me. So typically would after that probably take a shower and then sit down at home and actually start working. So the first thing is get onto my laptop at home. And so um, I think that the traffic has eased a bit, especially when I don't have an early morning meeting. So I get out, get out of home probably like 9, 9.30, and get into the office about 10-ish. And then once I get in there, it's what I call other people's work. So it's either a client meeting or some of my staff want to consult me on this, that, and the other, whether it's finance, whether it's um, client service, creative, stuff like that. 
So I end up doing other people's work, meetings, and then maybe if I have um, to perform some um, AG presidential role or attend some board meeting or something, I do all that till about 5.30. And then after that, I think that's when I usually get to do what I call my own work, which is now settling in to figure out what it is that I need. Are you a lawyer? <laughs> lawyers who do that, they start work after 5. What can you do? I mean, I mean, the service business as well. So right. ultimately, you have to make sure that the clients that you service have everything that they need whilst they're at work. Right. And once you're done, then you can come back and sit down. And so I'm typically in the office till about 9:30, nine, and then I head off home once again because I don't want to do traffic. I try and clear that. So by the time I get home, typically the day's work is done. So that's the kind of day I have. So the the period, I'm I'm, I'm curious about the period between 5:30 and 9:30. What happens then? Well, that's when I'm doing my own business planning, figuring out what um, what our performance has been over whatever period, um, growth opportunities. And unfortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately, I'm running a startup now, so I do quite a bit of work that I ordinarily wouldn't do, like oversight for like stuff like HR and stuff like that. So if I had to do, for instance, interviews, I would typically schedule them for that time of day. So if I want to come and work at New I can't ask you to come for interview. I can't, I can't put some of this thing on your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> so typically around 5.30. So I get to do clear all of those right. things and then I'm free to do my own work, like I said. So does not mean that y- your staff have to also be around no, 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 at work at that no, time? No, no they don't do? have to be. Right. That's when I'm doing stuff that I that right. depend on me. But uh, by God's grace, I have quite a dedicated and hardworking staff and it's not uncommon to come into our office around that time and see active work present. Right. These are all the themes that we've been exploring with some of our business leaders who have come to this program. Let me find out from you. If, if, you, wanted, if you wanted to walk us through a, a bit of a summary of your life and the key turning points, I found out that everyone has a story. And, and in, those, in, in, the, in that story are some turning points, some major turning points that provide, as it were, the pillars that guide your life. So just give us a, a sneak preview, maybe not the full story, but a bit of some of the turning points of your life interesting experiences that helped you become a better person that you learned from and that have been key pillars in your life till now any aspect of your life i was i don't think you have enough time for that i know I'll, I'll give you a very quick summary i find i found though that i think that um from experience adversity has birthed opportunity for me so um for instance let me let me, let me go a few steps back i was in primary school in christ the king and when i was graduating from christ the king as a 12 year old of course, I don't remember anything that happened at the graduation ceremony. I just know we're in a hurry to leave and go and play outside. But there's one thing that happened that day that has stuck with me all my life. Um, our headmistress then, uh, a Roman sister called Sister Mary Laureen, said to the graduating class, she said to us, the will of the Lord will not take you where his grace cannot sustain you. And somehow, even though I don't have, I have zero recollection of everything else that happened that day, I think it's because I wasn't receiving any prizes. That one statement has stuck with me all my life. The will of the Lord will not take you where His grace cannot sustain you. So throughout my life, whenever I've come up, I've come to a difficult junction. I've just reminded myself that this is probably God's plan for me, and whether I see it now or not, some way somehow He's going to get me out of it. So I'll give you two scenarios. When I was in the university, you know, typically Legon is a three-year program, so we went into first year. Um, finished first year and somehow for the three the three well four year period that we were in the university the lecturers went on strike what three four five times which, which year was this oh they don't do this three four five times <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you in, in, in I believe in 95 
There was one lecture strike. This was when we were, mo- were supposed to be going into final year. There was one strike that lasted over nine months. Wow. So essentially, our three-year degree program became four years. Now, during that period, I got into all kinds of things, like um, Hall Week celebrations. I was chairman of Legon Hall Week celebration. I was chairman of SRC Week celebration. And so I got to meet lots of business people. We essentially, we're going out begging for money, fundraising. But I got to meet the, 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 the branding and managing marketing managers of companies like the Unilevers of this world, the Ashrooms of this world, the Geoplast of this world. So at that stage, I actually got interested in marketing and in advertising. We also, at that time, as student leaders, set up the first radio station in the university, which was then Voice of Lagos, which then became Radio Universe. So I got involved in media, in interviewing for people, in setting up, in dealing with the National Media Commission, all of those things. So I got interested in, in media. Some way, somehow, that nine months, which ordinarily would be adversity, why would, why would my, a year of my life be wasted because of university lecture strike? It's what shaped me into what, I, what is my profession today in the marketing, advertising, and media space. Um, going quickly forward, you know the story about getting my getting into advertising. Some two or three years ago, under very bizarre circumstances, I lost my job. At that point, I thought, wow, is the world coming to an end? But some way, somehow, by, by the grace of God, today I'm, I'm significantly better off in every department than I was the day I lost my job. So for me, out of adversity, there lies opportunity. And if we look at it that way, and if we believe that the will of the Lord will not take you where His grace cannot sustain you, if we don't put our hands up and say, oh my God, I'm about to die, and we keep going at it with the right attitude, success always comes. Joel, you, you put it so eloquently and so fluently, but let me just let me just... Let me just drive it to that point of uncertainty for the benefit of somebody listening. I always tell myself, listen, you may never know somebody who's listening today who's saying, Joel is speaking as if he knows my case. Mm. You're talking about adversity being, for lack of a better word, the springboard to opportunity. Mm. And you've talked about your own experience of going through difficult times mm. and how those difficult times have turned out for your good. And I don't know if you've ever met Sister Mary to tell her thank you for that opportunity, but it, it would be something nice if, you ever, if you ever met her and let her know what it is that her admonition about the will of God and the grace of God, how far it has brought you. But, Joel, at the time when you are going through adversity, do you ever think that the sun will rise again? I mean, let's talk reality. In the, the, at the time when you are going through adversity, do you ever think the sun will even rise again? And what, it is, what, what, what is it that strengthens you in those times? For somebody listening my, my, out there. My question to you is, do you believe in God? If you believe in God, you believe that the sun will rise again. Right. That's it. It doesn't change the fact that when you are going through the pain, it is pain. So it's difficult. Whilst you're in the trenches, it's difficult. You ask yourself, why? Why me? Why at this time? You ask a myriad of whys. But you know that if you keep at it, if you keep giving it your best, if you don't put your heads, your hands on your head and say, oh my God, if the world is come, come crashing around me, you will go through it. I, I'm, 100%. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a story. I, I've lived it. It's not, this is not theory anymore. This is a real practical um, experience. I've learned that when you, when you ask about the most important question in the, or the most important issue in a person's life, just look into their eyes 
and, and the eyes tell much more than the words do tell, and that is the only disadvantage of radio. <laughs> Psalm 137 verse 1 says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yes, we wept when we remembered Zion. Zion. I don't know who I'm speaking to this this evening, but you're running your business, you're going through the stages of your life, and you've hit a very rough patch, you're asking yourself, why me? I just want to tell you that from the words of Joel this evening, there is hope for tomorrow if you can if you can hold fast to God's word and hold fast to what God has said out of darkness light shall shine Joel let's find out does faith have a place in business in your life how has faith been a factor in building your life Albert without faith I wouldn't wouldn't be where I am like I said to you I've had I've had very very dire moments and it's just the faith and knowledge that God has a plan for me God has a purpose for me and I may not see it today but if I keep keeping on it would come to fruition that's the only thing that's kept me going so does faith have a place in business for me absolutely my mother always says trust in God but block your car so essentially you're not going to go and park your car and say that well I believe in God so nobody's going to break into my car you're going to lock your car but you're still going to trust in God so essentially what I'm saying is Put in the work. Look for opportunities. Knock on doors. Tell people what you can do for them. Come up with ideas. Whatever it is. But believe then that once you do all those things, God will see you through. You're not going to sit down and, as we say, put your hands in your demifier and say that, oh, God will sort me out. No. God doesn't sort people out. God helps those who help help themselves. So give it your best. And definitely, definitely, definitely believe that God will see you through. It is 24 minutes to the hour of 8 o'clock. I'm enjoying my discussion with Joel Nitti, CEO of Innova DDB and the president of the Advertising Association of Ghana. He's walking us through the pages of his life and I am sure that you have loads and loads of lessons that you have learned from him. But the last one, just in case you just joined us and you are asking yourself, what is this discussion about faith? He says, faith without works is dead. Don't say you have faith and then sit down and not work. And you are watching Spanish soap operas and you are not going out there to look for the job and you are saying, I have faith, I'll be employed. It will happen. I'm going to play you my first Christmas Carol in this wonderful month of December. And when I come back from this one, I'm going to give you some of the thoughts about the seven deadly sins. Some of those perspectives are absolutely amazing. But the official, my official CD for this month is the Afropolitan Christmas put together by African Regent Hotel. And I just love this one. Every year I play it and I lost my copy and I went back for an original one because Charlie, the thing is nice. I'm going to play you the song, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. That's the foundation of all Christmas carols. And it's put together, this version is put together by Ifia Easy, Ochiami, Kwame and Tiny. You would like it. Just that Ghanaian flavor is just so special. Joel, if you, you like it, I can I can lend you my copy so you listen some more and you'll be of good behavior. Alright, who, who do you dedicate this one to? My wife, my my kids, my family, and my staff. Are they listening tonight? I hope they are. I am sure they are. Rachel, <laughs> enjoy this one, and everyone else are listening out there, enjoy this one. I'll make my dedications when we come back from this break. The song is Wish You a Merry Christmas by Efia, Easy Tiny, and my friend, Ochiame Kwame. Please don't go away.
lot of boys and girls. Kwala kwala, all the children in the world. Listen up, I have a story to tell, cause I got lots to share. See, this song goes to all the grown-ups, 24, those who fill their own cup. Good tidings for everyone to share, to prepare for the new year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. The rich men in your mansions with your children look outside at your no fun. Help the homeless have fun. So who is my when in your home? Who be ha? Why you when in your home? A show one man in Casa Nefenijima Abdasa. Merry Christmas, Merry Boomers, Holland Boomers, Wambun Coffins, Happy New Day, Happy New Year, Wapi New Year. Indeed, and that is the official announcement that Christmas has begun right here on your virtual university. And I'm going to be giving you some of the thoughts that have come out on the subject of the seven deadly sins that we just discussed earlier on. And if in case you, you didn't join us for that part of the discussion, we're talking about the, the book of Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19, trying to distill what the seven deadly sins that the Bible says the Lord hates. And so the simple question was, which of them is more dangerous? Some now writing on Facebook says, The seventh, him that sows discord among brethren is the most dangerous. Lucia Nympha says, Albert, they are all very dangerous. But I think that the hands that shed innocent blood is, is, is wickedly dangerous. <laughs> Araba says, all sin be sin, and they are equally dangerous. Betty Yakufa Mabin says, a lying tongue has no problem with committing the shedding of blood and has the heart for devising wicked plots. Says the heart is the core of a person and throughout the Bible God continually emphasizes how his relationship with man is dependent on the state of a man's heart Alan Mainz all of the above Richard Nettie says the Lord hates all the seven despite their magnitude Jerry Asari says a lying tongue conducts the rest easily George Akwamogan says a proud look and my reasons are simple he who thinks he stands let him take care lest he falls Prince Atoki says, a proud look, pride can lead to the other sins. Joe, Adam, Hinesis, all are deadly. Immanuel Kabla says, upon careful consideration and reconsideration, I settle on a heart that devises wicked plots. Out of its abundance, all the rest emanate. <laughs> Those are your thoughts. And there are loads of them. I'll try and share a few before I probably sign off. Let me go for a brief commercial, brief commercial break. When I come back, Joel, I really want to find out the three core lessons or pillars of your life. If you haven't shared them already, don't go away. Ah, 
Just a Mekuba KTM. Now check this out. I'm going to get money out without a car. Gosh, how did you do that? Don't you know that now you can withdraw cash from either MTN Mobile Money or Airtel Money at any Ecobank ATM and you don't even need an ATM card? Wow, that's great. And Ecobank has over 200 ATMs across Ghana. It's so convenient. Plus, it's super easy and totally secure. Withdraw cash at any Ecobank ATM from your MTN Mobile Money and Airtel Money wallets. For more information, just call free on short code 3225 from Airtel, MTN and Vodafone lines or 302 That's normal charges. Terms and conditions apply. Echo Bank, the Pan-African Bank. 17 minutes to the hour of 8 o'clock. This is the 14th edition of Leaders Digest and Springboard of Virtual Investing. My guest, Joel Netty, helping us to plant those important pillars that can help us become all that God meant for us to be. So far, he shared some very serious lessons. I'll be recapping some of them before we go off at the end or at the top of the hour. But, Joel, one of the principal points of exploration, one of the key things we've been trying to find out from our guests are the three pillars or the three most important values or principles in their lives. What would it be for you? Attitude. I probably should say attitude one, attitude two, attitude three. Really? But for that, let me just add, I'll say attitude one, and let me, I can, I'll throw in there into that mix, uh, integrity and humility. Right. Now, as far as attitude goes, my dad always used to say, say to me, "Give whatever you do, give it your absolute best. And when you've done that, hope for the best, but be prepared for the worst. So, especially once you've, once you've given it your all, everything, you've given it everything you have, you just hope that you get the best out of it. But I think that you need the strength of spirit as well that says that, okay, something can go wrong. For instance, you're pitching for a business, you've given it your, your all, you spend sleepless nights, the client is going to make a choice. So if the client makes a choice, for instance, for agency A and not your agency, then what? Do you go crashing down because you lost one page? No, you don't. You, you pick yourself up. You learn lessons from that encounter. Find out why it is that the client chose um, person A over person B. And make sure that next time, by far, by far and away, you are the, you are the better choice. So right. attitude for me, like I keep saying, is everything is everything is everything. One poem that has guided my life, it's, it's, it's been with me everywhere I've been since university. It's either been hanging in my, my um, university room or in my office or something. It's Desiderata. I'm sure you know it. Right. And Desiderata says, among several other things, and every time I read Desiderata, to be honest with you, I've read it over and over again, and every time something hits me anew. Right. But one thing that always hits me is Desiderata says, there will always be greater and lesser persons than yourself. So really, Albert, I mean, what is it? What is it? What have you achieved? What do you have? You need to be humble. You're not the best. You're not the worst. But in that progress in life, you never get to. A, for me, you should never get to a point where you think you're you're all that because there's so much more you can do. And really, whatever you're doing, other people have done and achieved greater things. So humility for me is key. And the last one is integrity. I mean, in all things, really, I think that a man should be a man of his word. So. If you don't have integrity, really, you don't have anything. So in, in terms, in no particular order, apart from the one which is attitude, 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 and attitude, um, integrity and humility will be my other two. Interesting one. Attitude, integrity, and humility. And he says if, if he had a chance, he would vote three times for attitude. And that's, that's key. But there's something you said that just flashed in my mind, and I, th- I thought I would pick up your thoughts on that. You talked about when you lose, because people like to talk about when they win, mm. but sometimes you lose. You mm. put out a bid and you lose. Mm. You compete for something and you lose. And you said, um, your dad said to you, 
always give your best or hope for the best but prepare for the worst. And so there will be times when you will not win. Yes. And you mentioned find out why you did not win. Yes. So I'm asking you a question. Do you go out of your way to go to those who did not give you the bid and ask them why didn't I win? All the time. All the time. Right. They have a reason. And you you you, you probably go to them again or you go to another um, client, another business in similar circumstances. If you don't learn from the first instance, then chances are you will go and make the same mistakes and you will lose again and you will lose again and you will lose again. So learning from your mistakes is critical. Of course, we all want to win and we all strive to win. But for those circumstances where you don't, I think it's critical that you learn from that scenario and ensure that you do better the next time. What's your greatest fear in life? Ah, that's a tough one. I don't know. I don't know. But I know that one of the things that I have said over and over again is that you have nothing to fear but fear itself. If the fear of losing, the fear of this, the fear of that, if, if you let it engulf you, then really you're subject to fear itself. So I would say probably that um, the greatest fear is fear itself. Do you find from experience that very often the things that we fear are not as big as we make them we, we make them out to be? I mean, let, let me give you a very interesting example. In school, there were some people who looked so huge. Mm. I mean, you, some seniors who looked like they were five times your size. And you treat of them like Oh, a lot of mercy. <laughs> and you see them now, and you are far taller and yeah. far bigger than them. And you're like, ah, are you still the same person? Yeah. Did you shrink or something? Yeah. Yeah. But hey, we were so afraid of them. Mm. But suddenly you realize that the guy is much smaller than you. Is it the case that the things that we fear are not as big as we think they are? In some, in, in some instances, I think I think fear is is made worse by the unknown right. because you don't know what the future holds because you don't know the the the, af, the future outcome. You are you are you are afraid. You you you, you fear this, that situation. But once it is that you you say, look, I'm going to go through this some way somehow. And once you commit to it, like I said, once you take fear out and you say you're going to give this your best. Whatever happens, I mean, whatever scenario, whatever the outcome, hey, you gave it your. At least you know you gave it your best. Right. Then really, there's nothing. There's nothing to fear. Have you made bad decisions before? That's the worst. Been to the worst. <laughs> Can you think of the worst decision you made? I don't know if this is the worst decision, but the one that comes the to ranks right high. The one that comes to mind right now is probably accepting to serve our nation Ghana on the World Cup Commission. That's a topical issue. Let me let me find out why you think it's it was the worst decision. Once again, that's a whole one whole program to by itself. But I think that I think that in the end, the response to what was supposed to be commitment by certain people um, was very downhearting. And I also think that the whole process in terms of um, who was doing what, what was done, how it was done, and all, all of those things could have been handled a little better. It's, it's a myriad of things. Like I said, it's a whole, it's a whole one whole uh, springboard wow. conversation. But I think that all in all, I think that I probably would have been better off not even attempting to bothering to get involved. When, I, when, when we put it out there that you are going to be our guest on on the show, one very um, very senior journalist said to me, he, he will listen for the for the very reason that your 
your presentation skills are just amazing. And so for him, the reason why he would listen tonight is the way you came to the World Cup Commission and the way you presented that made even the chairperson acknowledge that this was by far the best presentation that they have they had had. Would you say that compensates for the disappointment that you went through? The fact that across board, even the reportage in the newspapers said that was a very good presentation. Did that compensate in any way for the disappointment that you felt? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Um, in terms of in terms of presenting, I think that when you have your facts right, really, there's, if you are putting out facts and once again, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. So if you have the facts and the facts are on your side and you know you've done nothing wrong, it's easier to put out a, a consistent and clear story on what happened, how it happened, and all of those things. So by the grace of God, we went through that. But I think that having to even go through that for me was was not was not worth it. Really. Don't you become stronger by by the, the things that we go through in life, Joel? Oh, I, I have no complaints. Like I keep saying, it, it went well. Like you're saying, um, yes, the reportage was good. Yes, we got um, even the commissions themselves to say you've done well. But I'm saying that if I look at the six seven months of my life i invested and it's for me it's not about the commission it's about what the reason right. for the commission was right. about the world cup itself. right if i look at the six months i invested of my life i invested into that for a certain outcome to go and project ghana to make ghana known out all of those things i don't think we achieved that and that's why i said probably it was which there. brings me to my question if you had to do this again they asked me that at the commission i said that um i probably wouldn't but i think that under the right circumstances because i still i still believe that ultimately if if all of us professionals decide that for one reason or the other we are not going to support Mother Ghana, then really, I mean, where, where are we going? This is the only country we have. And for instance, in politics, I keep advocating that people of our kind should get into politics at some point. And I, particular, I don't particularly mind on, in, on which part of the aisle that they are, but I think that it's important that we get quality into Parliament, we get quality into the executive, we get quality where it matters so that we can begin to influence um, the decisions that affect our lives. So, Are we seeing you in politics in 2016? 2016, definitely not. 2020? I haven't thought that far. 2024? This is like work up bit. <laughs> Seven minutes to the hour of eight o'clock. If you just tuned in, this is Joel Nettie just giving us one hilarious angle to this whole discussion as we explore what he will do or not do in his quest to develop the country that he holds dear to his heart. Joel, what gives you the most fulfillment? Seeing a smile on somebody else's face. So whether it's by sharing knowledge or by giving to the deprived in society or by help just helping somebody out i think generally what gives me the most joy is knowing that i've been able to touch somebody and by touching somebody i've made the person happier than they were before i did that's probably the biggest thing for me and just by the way for for purposes of disclosure, Joel is one of the, the, the strongest partners of the Springboard Ratio Foundation, investing so much in the lives of people, and he does that as an individual together with his lovely wife, Rachel, and that is why you must also invest in the lives of people. He says he sees a smile and he feels that it is worth his while. Right. So, Joel, at the end of it all, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? How do you want to be remembered when you, let's say, retire? I mean, several years from now, you cross your legs and the children are running rings around you, telling you stories, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. How do you want to be remembered at the end of it all? As somebody who touched lives, 
as for money, Albert, ultimately, yes, we all want to make money, but to what end? What do you use the money for? I think I want to be remembered for, as somebody who touched lives, whether it's in business, whether it's in um, uh, philanthropy or whatever it is. I want to be known and remembered as somebody who gave his all to influence and help other people. I'll give you an example. One of the things that brings me greatest joy is knowing that across the length and breadth of the marketing industry in Ghana today, in various positions, various marketing managers of various banks, uh, various senior people in various advertising agencies have actually trained them to me. I, I, I smile when I see my voice, so to speak, in various positions. Your fingerprints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see them, I see them everywhere. I mean, even at the, 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 this past Gong Gong Awards on... Um, Sunday, I was just sitting, so, so Friday, I was sitting on the high table, I was just watching various people from various agencies, and I could tell, okay, so this is somebody I train, 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 in addition to whatever else it is that I'm doing. So ultimately, I think that's probably the most rewarding thing, knowing that you've, you've touched and influenced people's lives, and they will continue influencing people's lives as well. So there'll be a long trail of people you've touched just because you share knowledge and stuff like that. Yeah. If you didn't do what you do now, which other profession could you possibly have been in? When I was in secondary school, I wanted to do law. When I went to the University of Ghana and did a, a first degree in economics and psychology, I wanted to go into banking. By the time I finished the lecture strike, I knew that I couldn't do a 9-to-5 job. And so, I don't know. I think that I, I love what I do now, and um, I'll keep keeping at it. Have you ever thought about which animal represents your kind of personality? No, I haven't. But Given that dogs are very protective, I would think that probably a dog, because I tend to be very protective about the people around me, the people I care about, yeah. Wow. I'm going to give you the 10 lessons I've learned from this interview, and I, I am an eternal learner, and so I, copy, I take copious notes when my guests are talking, because... I just love to learn from people and yeah, people like you. don't know how you do it. How you manage to get all these points after the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had somebody tell me, somebody who tuned into the show, a boxing enthusiast, Eddie, uh, Eddie Duplan, he says he was driving home one night when he stumbled on the show. He said, do you do this every time? I said, we've done this for six years. He says he had just the tail end. And he was like, oh, that was a wonderful interview. I wish I listened from the beginning. And he says, at the end, I said, okay, so just in case you just joined us, these are the 10 Some things I learned. And he said, ah, I, I mean, I've missed the show, but at least I get to get, get a summary. Yeah. Well, the good news is that I'm going to put the summary out as I usually do on Facebook, and you can actually get them also in the, in the, in the graphic business. There's a whole column devoted to that in the graphic business. You can get it as well. And just make a point to co- collect these and to read and listen to them over and over again. So my top 10 lessons from Joel. I want to call them Joel. Let his 10 commandments. Number one, it's about going global. Your competition is global, and you are no longer a local player. And therefore, you're going to be competing with the very best across the world. And so your quality must match the very best. People have choices. And so be sure that you are matching them on all the four Ps. Number two. Progress is in stages, and so consistently improve and reinvest your revenue in building your business. It's a marathon, and it's not a sprint. Number three is about barriers, and the key barriers to progress in business in Ghana. Attitudes, he says, put in the hours, invest resources, and don't settle for mediocrity. Number four is about standards. There's nothing like a Ghanaian standard. Providers must not settle for less, and very importantly, buyers or, or those who 
pay for the resources must not also accept anything less than the best. Number five is about attitude and passion. And he says, if you want to succeed in your career, these are the two things you must have. You must be committed and you must be interested in the work that you do. If you're not interested, please, you will not succeed. And interest must reflect in your attitude and the research that you put in to become the very best. Number six is about adversity. He says, adversity has always birthed opportunity for him. He talked about being a 12-year-old graduate and learning the lesson that the will of God will not take you where his grace cannot sustain you. He also talked about the, the fact that his three-year course became four years and the nine-month strike provided a springboard to his career because that is when he learned how to meet with top executives in advertising and marketing and he, he, he began the foundations of his business right from there as well as also his interest in the media with the formation of the voice of Legon. Number seven, he talked about faith and it's a conviction that God will guide you to success. He says, trust in God, but lock your car. That means that have faith, but back it with works. Number eight, he said, his three core values are attitude, attitude, and attitude. But just because I'm insisting, he will add integrity and humility. He talked about the influence of his dad on the issue of attitude. He talked about desiderata and his influence on his choice of integrity. And he says, as for his choice of humility, and as for integrity, he says, please, when you give your word, keep it. Number nine, he talked about fear, and he says, there is nothing to fear, but fear itself. Once you get over that fear of fear, you can go on to become all that God meant for you to be. He had one little regret about the World Cup Commission, but I will add this on the side bonus. Final points about fulfillment. He says when he puts a smile on somebody's face, he feels that he has lived. And that is what he lives for. Joel, before you go, if, if these ten things were combined into a book, what would you call it? If these were ten chapters of a book, what would you call it? Give it a title. Under Pressure. Adversity bears opportunity. I knew that was a favorite commandment. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that chapter. When you buy that book, go straight to that. Joel talked about the father. He says his children are his alarm clock or his wake-up clock. He said it. I didn't say it. Please tune in next week as we bring you the final, the 15th edition of Leaders Digest, after which we will bring you a special compilation of the thoughts of the 15 leaders we've had the privilege of interviewing in this series. Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast by Albert and Comfort Okran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages at Albert and E. Okran and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email albert.okran at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on plus two three three two four. 9999000. You may also subscribe to www.albertokran.com, amazon.com, or your favorite online bookstore for copies of our inspirational books and audiovisual materials. Until we come your way again, always remember, you are blessed indeed. Oh, 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 oh,